0: Well, last week, as part of the message, think small, which is kind of an odd, strange thing to hear. We're usually told to think big, but we were using it especially in reference to to small groups and getting connected in, in intimate grace groups. And we considered some of the blessings that came to us as we connect to a grace group. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you, you can listen online if you're internet savvy. If you're not, you can request a CD, and we'll have one made for you. It's not a problem. Today, we want to move kind of part two of that message. We want to focus on a particular portion of Scripture that I think will be a blessing to us as we come to understand it. But as we come to understand it, what we're going to discover is being a part of a grace group is not just about us being blessed. There are some responsibilities that come along with being a part of a grace group. There's opportunities for you to be a blessing to others. And so I want to go ahead and ask you, if you have your Bibles, to 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 turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look there in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at a number of verses here, but we're going to focus in on three this morning as kind of the foundation for us, as the framework for how the church is to function and certainly how grace groups together are able to function. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we want to look at uh, just a few verses, and they're up here on the screen for you. The first one is verse, verse 7, and then we're going to jump down to verse 11 and read from there. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And then verse 11, it was he that is going back referring to Jesus. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What we're reading here is that Jesus has called and set apart and gifted Leaders in the life of the church. He didn't do this so that they could boast about their giftedness and their role. He didn't do this so that they could enrich themselves at the expense of others. He didn't do this so that they might consider themselves more important than any other in the group. Why did he call these leaders? Why did he set them apart? Well, let's take a look at some of these leaders, who they were. He called them, gifted them, and set them apart as apostles. Who are the apostles? The apostles are those who knew Jesus and who called people to follow him. The apostles knew Jesus. They knew him personally. He had appeared to them. And therefore he, and, and so these people had believed in him and are calling others people to follow him. We do not, in grace fellowship, have anyone that we designate as apostles. But you do need to note, apostles literally means sent ones. So in that sense, all of us are apostles. But in this role, what we're looking at here is the, the office of apostle, and that is something that God established that was for a purpose. The second role we see is prophets. Prophets are those who spoke by direct revelation of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just that they were telling something that was going to happen in the future. Certainly prophets did that. But they also spoke what God told them to say. And so they they spoke by direct revelation of the Holy Spirit. Another role, another area of leadership was that of evangelists. Evangelists, we would also consider them today missionaries. An evangelists or missionaries are those who carry the good news to those who are lost. And so you see, it can be both in our thinking, the missionaries, that is, those who go abroad in order to share Christ, or evangelists, those who tell locally. Either way, it doesn't matter. There's a, a role, there's an office set up for those who serve as evangelists, those who serve as missionaries. There's also pastors, pastors it comes from the, the word pasture, comes from the same word. It means those who are called to shepherd the flock of God, to look after, to care for the flock of God. And the final is teacher. The role of teacher though is those who are gifted and called to teach others God's eternal truth. And so what you see here is that God called and set apart. He didn't say these people are more important than the rest of the body. These people should be honored and esteemed and not the rest of the body. These people should make themselves rich off the rest of the body. No, what he said is these people have been called and set apart and gifted for a purpose. Jesus gave the church these leaders with the express purpose of preparing, equipping, the word is literally the putting in order of God's people. In other words, they were tasked with a responsibility. They were to put together a a structure that equips the believers, equips the members to do ministry, to create environments and opportunities where spiritual growth is a little bit more possible. In other words, we weren't called and left on our own to do our own thing. God raised up, gifted, and called and set apart leaders to help us along that path. That's what the whole purpose of these leaders are. And the equipping of God's people has a purpose. The preparation is so that they are prepared to engage in works of service. So that the saints, perhaps your translation has the word saints... What are saints? We often think of saints as these people that are ultra-holy, these people who have a, a completely different standing from the rest of us. But that's not the meaning here. The meaning of saints is those who are set apart for a purpose. That would be all of us. We are all saints in the eyes of God if we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it is for all of us, the saints, are to be actively engaged In works of ministry, actively engaged in works of ministry. God doesn't call us to sit and soak. He didn't call us just to occupy a seat on Sunday morning. God has called us for a purpose of serving others and sharing Christ, and He's called leaders and set apart leaders to equip us, to train us, to prepare us, to put it in order. So that we, as a church, might engage the world for Jesus Christ. In other words, ministry is not the exclusive domain of pastors, elders, deacons, or super saints. Ministry is your domain. It's where you live. It's your responsibility. It is your calling. And the responsibility of church leaders is to create the environments and opportunities and structures to prepare you to engage the world for Jesus Christ. Now, as far as our grace groups, that is part of the structure, the strategy, I guess you could say, of grace fellowship. In other words, how will we do what God has called us to do? Grace groups are part of that strategy. Now, I want you to notice a little bit something more here, something that, to be quite honest, as I've read this over the years, I've tend to overlook this. The reason Jesus gave leaders to the church was not just external. In other words, it wasn't simply to prepare God's people for works of service. There was more than that, there was also an internal component so that the body of Christ may be built up. I've got to tell you the truth. I've been serving in ministry now for 20 years. And I'd always quit reading too soon. I said, okay, God, you've called me, you've set me apart, you've gifted me to equip the saints for works of ministry, period. But that is not what the scripture says. So that means because of what came before it, this is what comes after it. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Not only does the world receive a blessing because God's people are equipped and engaged in works of ministry. The church receives a blessing because this happens as well. Jesus is concerned about reaching the lost. Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But he's also concerned about his bride, the church, about the, the church growing, about the church maturing about the church being beautiful, strong, and stable. He wants his body to reflect his character. Jesus wants we who are in the church to reflect his character, to grow until, as the scripture says, we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, what is this unity in the faith? Unity in the faith does not mean that we all think alike, sound alike, act alike. Or dress alike, thank goodness, right? Unity in the faith is a shared faith in a crucified and risen Savior. It is a faith that unites us that is in Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord is absolutely essential to church unity. Not that we believe everything alike all the time, but that you and I share a faith in a crucified and risen Savior, that is central. That belief is where we stand, and without this, nothing—nothing nothing else we do matters. If it's not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and so there is a desire here, a reason that God gifted, called, set apart leaders. It was to equip you. For works of ministry but it was also that we together could grow in unity in our faith and something more he also wants us to grow in maturity till we all reach maturity now what is maturity maturity is becoming more and more like Jesus that is attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ that's what we just read becoming more like him Does any of this seem even the vaguest bit familiar to you? Perhaps you remember somewhere in the deep recesses of your mind that there's a a vision statement. And part of it said this. Grace Fellowship is a community of faith where each person believes in Jesus Christ and has a growing faith and where each person becomes more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. You probably thought a group of folks just got around in a room and said, Hey, let's see what kind of statement we can come up with. I'm here to tell you that believe in Jesus and growing in your faith and becoming more like Jesus daily in your attitude and action. That comes straight from the heart of Scripture. Scripture. It is exactly what God has called us to do and be, to believe and to grow in our faith and to become more like Jesus daily in our attitude and action. Grace groups then, if you're wondering what this grace group thing is all about, grace groups are environments that are designed to bridge the gap between believing and becoming. They help us to plug in, to grow. It gives us us a soil in which we can grow. A grace group is where you hear the question, how are you? And people actually want to know the answer. You ever been anywhere and people just go, hey, how you doing? And keep walking. They really don't want the answer to that question. As a matter of fact, sometimes they regret having asked. But a grace group is one of those places, one of those groups where you come and someone asks, how you doing, and they actually want to know the answer because they're concerned about you. A grace group is a group of people who know you, who know about your life, who know about your faults, who know about your failures, who know about your sin, and they still love you. That's a rare find, isn't it? A grace group is a gathering where together we discover how God's truth applies to our lives individually and as a group grace group is where you can be honest about your struggles and about your challenges without being condemned a grace group is where you can find loving people who will love you enough to hold you accountable call you up check on you and care enough to speak the truth in love we find in this fourth chapter of ephesians really a blueprint for what life together might look like. And we don't have time to look at the entire chapter, but I want to highlight a few portions of that so that we can see how this ties together to create unity in our faith, to create a growth in us. And so verse 2, if if you've got it there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, we're told, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Now, hang on. Think about this. If you think that the Christian faith is about doing life on your own, it's me and God against the world, then what do you do with something like this? This is talking about each other. This is talking about one another, how we respond, relate to one another. That is part of our Christian walk. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another, putting up with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, when we come together, we're not always going to agree, we're not always going to do everything alike, and we're not always going to see eye to eye. But it is evidence of our Christian faith that we still love one another and still value the unity of the body. In verse 15, we're told, speaking the truth, in love. Now I know a lot of people who do one or the other, but doing them both is a challenge. You can speak the truth and be rough as sandpaper about it and offend people and hurt people and wound people. The truth is not meant to be used as a club to bludgeon someone over the head. You can speak in love and avoid the truth. And there are a lot of people who do that. I just don't want to go there, I don't want to address that issue, so I'll just say, hey, how how, how are you, I love you, and be done with it. Few are the people who speak the truth in love. That is, they tell the truth, but they do it in the context of love so that there is concern, not condemnation that comes with it. So that there is help that is alongside, it's a coming alongside kind of truth. And so in our, in our church, it's hard to do that in a big group setting. You know, to go grab somebody out in the, in the gathering space and say, Here, come here. i got some truth I need to speak to you in love. But it's a whole lot easier if you're in a small group of believers who love and care about one another. Say, Okay, we see so-and-so struggling. Let's, let's address this issue. It's a whole lot easier to do it in that kind of situation than it is in a big group situation. Skip down to verse 25. We're told each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. So when it's talking about your neighbor here, it's talking about your fellow brothers and sisters. In your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I use this a lot of times in marriage counseling. It's good advice in marriage counseling. But it's also good advice in your Christian relationships too. When you have someone who's offended you, instead of fuming about it, deal with it. Otherwise, it's just going to turn over and over and over in your mind. You'll lose sleep over it. You'll give the devil a place to set up camp. You don't want to do that. Deal with it. Someone's offended you, address it with them. Try to settle it. Remember, unity of faith is something that's important. He goes on. He says... Uh, In verse 28, he who's been stealing must steal no longer. He must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. In other words, when your life as a Christian, there's some things that ought to change. And if, if you have stolen, if you're a thief and you come to know Christ, then there should be a radical change in your life. And in this way, in this instance... You need to go out, you need to find a job, you need to work, not just to support yourself, but so that you may be able to help others in need as well. In other words, you're not just looking after you, you're looking after your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we go to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. How are you going to know their needs if you don't know them? How are you going to, you can guess at it, I guess. You look like you need a stern lecture. You can guess at it, but unless you know them, it's hard to know their needs. So how can you address those needs? He goes on, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you, in your life. Have relationships with other believers that are messed up and you refuse to address it. You grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When you are actively working against, or at least not actively working for, peace and unity in the body, then you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, get rid of, take out the garbage here, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice, and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. What we see here is a blueprint, not just for the church at large, but what a wonderful blueprint for your grace group. That we look at this and say, how can our group model this kind of attitude and behavior to one another? It's good practice. Getting along in a group like that is good practice for getting along in the world. And you go, okay, pastor, I hear what you say. saying. You're saying this is what I need. I need a grace group. I need it. It's going to fit my needs. And yes, I'm saying that, but we often get so sidetracked into thinking spiritual growth is all about us. It's, It's about me. Am I getting what I need? Am I getting fed? Am I being blessed? And I want us for just a few moments to consider that it may not be all about you or me. Perhaps it's not about what we're getting out of it. Could it also be about what we're putting into it? God has given us our faith, he's given us the church, he's given us godly leaders, he's given us environments like worship and grace groups and Sunday morning Bible studies and and foundational studies and mission trips and, and ministry opportunities. And he didn't just give them to us for our benefit. We're not only here for ourselves. We are here, according to Ephesians 4, we're here also for the body of Christ. It's not about blessing only. There's also responsibility that comes along with it. And I want you to listen to the heartbeat of Jesus revealed through these words of Paul one more time. You're going to say, well, didn't you just read some of these verses? Yes, I did, but I want to read them again, but I want to put a little emphasis on something for you this morning. It was he, that is Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people. It doesn't say simply here to prepare Rick Ward, does it? It doesn't say just here to prepare Bill Carter. It says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. Until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we, we together We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You notice it's not just about me. It's also about we, us together as a people of God. Now, I want to be honest with you. When I became a Christian, when I became a Christian and began to take Jesus seriously, I started looking for a church that would meet all my needs. I mean, that kind of sounds like the normal way to do it, right? I'm a Christian. I got to look for a church that's going to meet all my needs. And I found that kind of a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I could go there every Sunday and be guaranteed to hear a biblically solid message. I could go there every week and say hi to people who were my friends. I could go there every week and take home some really good notes so that I could apply that message to my life. When I went there, I enjoyed the music. It was different than anything else I'd experienced, and so I really soaked the music up. It was a comfortable environment. I didn't have to go in a coat and tie, which was really neat. And I was around a bunch of other college students. It really met a need in my life. And I thought, I thought that finding a church, my Christian life was, well, it was kind of like a giant funnel. And the big top is up in heaven. And the little part was straight to my heart. This is how I viewed the Christian life. This ought view be the Christian faith. That all of heaven, the church was designed to pour all of heaven down into my heart. The church was designed to meet Jimmy Long's needs. And if I ever felt like I had a need that wasn't met, why? I bet you there's a church down the street that could do it. As I matured a little bit in the faith, I came to realize that that is not at all what the Christian faith is designed to be. I came to understand that it wasn't all about me. First and foremost, it's about God. But you see, Jesus taught us, love the Lord your God with all you've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, it's not only me and my relationship with God that's important. It's you and your relationship with God that are important to both God and to me. That's where I missed it. That's where I went astray. It wasn't just about me. It was about us together as a body of Christ. And it will mean that Jimmy Long does not always get all his needs met. And that when I don't get all my needs met, I don't go running off somewhere else saying, Wah, wah, wah. They're not meeting my needs. Somehow the funnel got clogged up. Maybe my needs aren't being met because I'm not meeting others' needs. I've shown you before the picture of the Dead Sea, you know, from Google Maps. The rains come down and they flow into the, uh, into the Sea of Galilee, which is teeming with fish. You always caught, you know, when, when you went by the Sea of Galilee, people were fishing. Then it flows down through the Jordan River and then it runs into the Dead Sea. Now notice it flows into and out of the Sea of Galilee. Then it flows into the Dead Sea where it stops. There is no outlet. There is no flow of water. There's because there's no flow out, then sediment builds up, minerals build up, and it it wipes out the fish. You don't go fishing in the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea for a reason. And it's not because it's haunted. It's called the Dead Sea because there's no fish there. And there are no fish there precisely because there's no outflow. And we look at church and we say, it's all got to flow my direction. And then we put this big stopper at the end and say, but I'm not flowing out. Well, guess what's going to happen over time? Like the Dead Sea, we will dry up and die spiritually. And then we'll run off to another church and say, hey, fill me up, fill me up. And they'll pour in fresh. And then after a while, the same thing is going to happen. I'm telling you, the answer to your spiritual growth is not church hopping. The answer to your, your spiritual problem is to connect in a church. Don't be like Pluto, so cold and icy, and so flinging out there, so far out that we go west, not even a planet anymore. There are lots of, that's, for some people, that's church. They've got this thing that they revolve around loosely, but they will never draw close to the heart of it. According to what I just read this morning, God calls, sets apart, and gifts leaders in a church, and I'm assuming that's what I'm supposed to be doing. God calls, sets apart, and gifts leaders in a church to equip the members for works of ministry so that all together we can grow in the unity of the faith and mature to become more like Jesus. That, I believe, is my calling and the calling of every leader in Grace Fellowship. And that is why We have things like foundational studies and Sunday morning Bible studies, and particularly, as we're emphasizing now, our grace groups. What I discovered is what I hope you'll discover. Being a part of a church family, especially a small group of believers, means sacrifice on my part. It means I give time, and I give energy, and I give heart, and occasionally I'm hurt because people don't respond In gratitude, like I think they ought to, it means sacrifice on my part. So I want to close this message by spilling over from chapter 4 into chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we read the first two verses. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, And a sacrifice to God. Jesus gave himself for his church. And he calls me to live a life marked by sacrifice. It's not all about me. Sometimes it's about giving myself to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And I got to tell you. We have a lot of people in the life of this church who do that very thing. Now think about this. Think about, if you're in a grace group, think about this. Look around your grace group the next time you meet and look at the giftedness that God has placed there because he has. Look at the uniqueness of each of those people as God brings them together and he did it for a purpose. That together we might grow in the unity of faith and become more like Jesus so that we're able to serve and to share Together, thinking small is not about just thinking about small things. Thinking small is about thinking, hey, I'm not called to do this individually, and it's not just about the big group. It's about me being connected on a level where I can know people and they can know me. I can love people and they can love me. I can serve people and they can serve me. And together, we can serve and love others. That is the only reason we have grace groups. You do not need something else to do each week. But God called leaders to bridge the gap between believing and becoming. And your leaders have sat down and prayed and studied and said, we believe that groups Small groups of believers who are intimately connected with one another, studying and applying God's word together, and serving and sharing together is the dynamic that makes the difference. All of you won't sign up for grace groups. That doesn't mean you're bad. But for those of you who do, I pray that you will find it. A blessing for you and a way that you can bless others.